So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to cruise from founders and friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Orn. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And before we get to an awesome podcast with Evan Marr, Logical, and Jay Goldberg, one of my favorite CFOs, quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling makes amazing payroll software, amazing benefit software, and they also have a really cool tool that allows you to provision new users, which means when you hire someone, you can spin them up, get them connected to all their web services, not spend a ton of consulting time like we do. We are trying to get automated on this, but we spend three hours every time we try to hire someone or bring someone on. So I really recommend Rippling. It's fabulous for all three of those use cases. But the cool thing is you can do them all. You don't have to just pick one. Rippling is the full package. So check it out. And another quick shout out to the Cruise tax team. They've been working super hard. They're amazing. Very grateful for all their work. Go Cruise Tax. And now let me introduce Evan Marr and Jay Goldberg. Welcome, guys. Hello. Evan, while Jay's getting situated, why don't you do a quick intro on yourself? Sure. I'm the vice president of finance at Logical. We're um, about a 75-person e-discovery software startup. So that's uh, selling to law firms uh, and legal teams inside big corporations. And uh, I've been here about three years, raised the Series B two years ago. And uh, my fifth time on the uh, podcast, I'm the five-timers club now. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I love it. Actually, though, I don't know if the public knows that because one time – Oh, no, no, we did. We did. We just cut that one. I was going to say one time we got a little snotty uh, with a couple vendors, uh, software tools. Yeah. We had to edit that. Recently. I wanted to laugh about that because your marketing guy listened to it and said, this is way too negative. You guys are like, you know, Scott and I have a relationship that's based on trust and real talk. So, you know, we had some real talk. And uh, <laughs> so I'm sorry. I guess I was, I was bringing a negative energy that day. That's my bad. Evan, excellent summary about your career and your position. Very impressive. Uh, Jay, can we get a quick background on you? Yeah. Hi. So I'm Jay Goldberg. I live in San Francisco. I've been working in finance and technology for a long time now. I started my career. I actually lived in China for a long time. Came back to the U.S. a couple of financial crises ago. I was a banker for a while and a research analyst covering a whole bunch of networking and wireless stocks. I did about 25 IPOs. I left the street about six, seven years ago to go work at uh, a couple operating companies, including Peregrine Semiconductor. I helped sell them to Murata of Japan. I went to Qualcomm for a while. And then for the last like two, three years, I've been hanging out my own shingle, doing consulting CFO work. And right now I work for about five startups, helping them with the external facing functions of a CFO. So some bookkeeping, but mostly capital planning, financial modeling. And, and lately it's, it's all been about raising money. You know it, man. It is about raising money right now. Well, thanks so much. So Jay and I have met, worked together, and then Evan and I are friends from business school, and he's super knowledgeable as well. So we got a bunch of cool topics here to talk, and we're we're basically just saying let's. Tr- this is a CFO roundtable. So you have two awesome CFOs at your disposal here if you're listening, and we brainstormed a bunch of different topics. So the first one is your perspective on the SBA CARES Act PPP loans. Evan, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, you know, I think there's been so much talk and, and so much written about it. And um, while trying not to reveal my partisan politics, I would say, like, even in the best of times with the most cooperation between political parties and the best prepared political, you know, uh, administration, trying to roll out something like this is just of staggering complexity. Um, and so I, you know, was just talking to friends when they announced it. And I was like, look, just so you know, healthcare.gov 
the rollout of this is going to make healthcare.gov look like, you know, the SEAL t- Team 6 raid on bin Laden. Like, this is this is going to get bungled. It's a very hard thing to do. I think, la- like, last year, the SBA did, like, 60,000 loans or 39,000 loans. And, like, I'm guessing they'll have a, a an eight fi- seven or eight-figure number of lo- loan requests. Like, you know, set, you know, and of those, like, 1% will be fraudulent. And the rest is just everybody trying to follow the guidance, which changed literally by the hour throughout the course of the last 10 business days. Uh, and, and people just doing the best they can. You know, the uh, Bay Area Operators Group that I know you're involved with, Scott, incredibly valuable resource, very smart people. I think almost a thousand now across the country. Uh, now it's called the Operators Guild. And they're going back and forth like, wait a minute, I'm calculating it this way. I, what about this? And it just, it was so chaotic that, you know, ancient curse, may you live in interesting times. I, that's kind of my response. I'm happy to talk about other legal issues, but Jay, I think has probably got a lot more insightful stuff to say. So, yeah, I, I've been working on four PPP loans this week for different companies, four or five, I kind of lost track. And it's it's been um, let's call it entertaining. Let's 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 be positive. <laughs> it's been entertaining. My my favorite one is one company got a lead for some bank on the East Coast that no one had ever heard of before. That was had a really good site. It was available Friday. We got all the docs uploaded. We applied. We were like in the first you know thousand people to apply there, and then uh, come back Monday morning. It's still in process, but now they have a big red warning on their site saying we we can't guarantee we'll give a loan to non-customers. And so that that company had also gone to their own bank. That bank wasn't ready to accept applications until Monday. And then the, that in, lead investor also sent them a link to another lender who was doing things with a really good portal as well, promising 72-hour turn, turnaround. And so the dilemma was, well, do you stick with the one you've already submitted, but they may not fund it? Do you go with a bank you know, even though they're basically making you do it on pen and paper? Or do you go to the third one? Or do you do all three? Which is probably a federal crime. So th- those are the options, and of course, no no one's been funded, and, and no one knows the answer. Yeah, and no uh, one knows the answer. I, I, I would say I was gonna say there's this guy I've been following on Twitter. Uh, I think his name's Trevor Loy at the NVCA, the Venture Capital Association. Mm-hmm. He's been doing incredible work, like just compiling lists of like who's funding loans and all kinds of good resources. So I give a shout out to him. He's that's been an incredible resource. He, he doesn't yeah. know the answer either, but he has lots of lots of data. I had kind of the same experience with both of you guys. Like, uh, I mean, actually, so we we did something like 110 or 120 or pulled the info for that. Maybe even more. I don't even know, actually. That was the count as last week. But it was a real dilemma because the banks weren't really operational. And actually, Jay, I got a couple of those emails from our clients being like, hey, there's this random bank on the East Coast that my VC sent me that looks like they're open. And I was actually saying, don't do that because... I was really nervous about the fraud and sketchiness factor and just like kind of maybe what happened, you know, they might've set up a good web page, but actually weren't operationally set up and we're treating it more as a customer acquisition tool than actually wanting to do the loans. So I was advising our clients to stick with their bank, which mostly worked out. Although SVB, I feel bad for SVB. They've worked really, really hard, but they still haven't quite got it right. We're taping on Friday, the April 10th, but they were working hard. There's, there's no, there's no lack of effort there. And I know some people have gone through with SVB, but many haven't, but it's, it's, it's been totally crazy. I think the most frustrating thing for me was just the, the guidance and the calculations changing like almost every day. That was really tough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's definitely been the case uh, for us as well. We bank with Silicon Valley bank and uh, they've done a good job. I think of 
managing communications, um, there was a, there was a, I don't know if Jay, if you were on it, but there was a, you know, half hour, uh, long open, like all hands sort of for all SVB customers. And the CEO was basically like, Hey, we know you're frustrated. We know you're scared. We haven't, we're technically an SBA lender, but we haven't done one in 25 years because of the affiliate rules, among other reasons. So, you know, we're doing our best. And so realistically, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if SVB clients are going to be able to access because it's a kind of like there's some first come first serve element here. You know, if you're trying to spin up from zero SBA loans to, I think they said they're going to probably receive 10 to 13,000 applications while they're all like working from home, like launching a new like Ugh. banking product is not something you do in six days. It's yeah. something you do in like not even six months. <laughs> it's like not how I, this works. I love so, your analogy about the cares Act, are they a cares act versus uh, Obamacare? You know, oh, it's so, yeah. so true. You know, it makes, it makes it look like the Normandy invasion in terms of yeah. execution precision. So, yeah. you know, I, they're doing their best. Um, I'm, I'm concerned that I think for two things, number one, just because they're trying to spin up this huge lending product from nothing. <laughs> it's like, you know, on the drop of a hat. And number two, just because other banks are obviously further along, my my uh, my speculation is that I don't think there's going to be, if any, a, a whole lot of SVB customers that are able to participate in PPP, but we'll see. I know it's going to be tough. Jay, you said you, before we turn the mics on, you said you need a little bit of therapy. What any, like pretend you're just laying on a, on a psych, psychiatrist <laughs> couch, like what's, what's on your mind? I think for me, it's the, it's the rule changes, right? I, I know that the, that one one client was looking at all these different banks and every time they they did a, a loan calculation it was a different number right yeah and um <laughs> i was basically telling our clients like do do the best you can you're certifying so it needs to be accurate but you know the guidance is changing every day so just get do the best you can and under the guidance that's most recent and get it in you know <laughs> I, uh, yeah, but it's it's weird though because like some of the banks have calculators and they do it for you, and then you know there's not a lot of legal language behind any of this. Am, am I uh, are we are we repping that our numbers are right? Am I relying on the bank's calculator? What if the bank's calculator is a day old? Right, exactly. Yeah, and I, and you know and it's first come first serve, so you can't really stop and think about it too hard. Yeah, I think what's going to happen is they're going to do the loans and they're going to come back and audit six months from now, and they're going to basically correct. And if the numbers are off, you're going to be forced to pay back a certain, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever trues it up kind of thing. Nope. Yeah. That's been my naive assumption is that I know I'm operating in good faith. So if it turns out that I was using a calculator that was two hours old, <laughs> then some portion of it will just not be forgivable. And that's yeah. fine. That's yeah. okay. You know, now watch if six months I'm, I'm getting frog walked out the front of my apartment, then maybe I'll have a different attitude, but you know, you know, at least, at least you'll have company in jail because we'll all be there. Yeah, exactly. We'll have the best parties. Oh All my, my friends will be there. I love it. All right. Well, the next topic we had was, are you recalculating your model? Like, are you adjusting your financial model, doing a, re- a new plan? Jay, you want to take that one? Yeah. I mean, I have, I, my clients are going through the whole range of motions. There, there's a couple that are just stay the course. Those that raised big money last year, they're just going to ride it out and they're not terribly exposed. I have others that are going through complete, you know, complete restructuring. And then the, I think the the third, there's a third one that's just completely pivoted their pop product. Now they have a, an application and, you know, in, in virus tracking. Uh, and so they've just completely pivoted the whole company to this whole new thing. That's maybe there's some share, you know, some code base that's shared, but it's like a completely different business. 
So that's a pretty I, I, gutsy move. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been quite a week. Evan, what are you seeing on the replan stuff? Um, definitely plans kind of 2020 plans out the window. We are bracing ourselves. We, you know, it, it's really hard to like, are you really going to have new logo like growth in, you know, in this market? In theory, you know, most of our, we sell mostly to like Fortune 500, you know, legal teams, but also like mom and pop law shops. And, you know, those, the good news is like, okay, a lot of those companies are still operating, right? You can, they can work remotely, but if their end client doesn't pay them, then there's just going to be this huge slowdown. And certainly some of their clients are Dairy Queens and, you know, the Boston Red Sox and other businesses that just like aren't really doing a whole lot right now. So on the one hand, we had really gone through this price and pivot. You and I talked about it, yeah. that it makes us a pretty affordable option. So in a, in a theoretical world, revenue could go through, well, I wouldn't say go through the roof, but, you know, in a real contraction, we might benefit from a revenue perspective, but it's not enough for me. Like I can't pay my employees with revenue. I got to pay them with cash. You know, yeah. my employees are funny like that. So, you know, they, they, <laughs> they don't care what I recognize. They care what I take coming through the door. So I'm, we're, we're really very concerned about you know, collections and, you know, we're making frankly some product changes to help there. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. You're right. You know, I, I don't know. And Jay, I don't know if some of your companies are recession resilient. No one's recession proof, but Evan, you nailed it where you said, you know, you guys are a cheaper option or a more attractive pricing structure. So that, that actually can't help. We've kind of seen that a little bit. It's early for us, but it was very quiet for like the first couple of weeks. People were kind of shell shocked. Now we've signed eight new clients in the last week, I think, which is pretty good for us. So things are on, I, I've been telling some of our clients because we have kind of an interesting perspective on the whole ecosystem and, and things are unlocking, you know? So, so hopefully you got your guys' companies aren't too far behind or hopefully they benefit a little bit from the recession in a weird way. Yeah. I mean, for, for us, there's a lot of sort of, we're worried about third and fourth order consequences, right? It's, you know, we, we know, we know what's sort of going on with our end customers at this point, right? We have a decent idea. We don't know if what, they haven't forecasted. And so I'm sure like some, at one of my companies, one of their big clients is going to blow up. Uh, and we just don't, we just don't know what's coming yet. Yeah. That's a really good point. What do you, so then segueing to the next topic, which was, you know, runway, runway, how many months and burn rate adjustments. What do you guys see in there? I'm modeling a bunch of sensitivities as to what happens to day sales outstanding. You know, it's, but you know, as with any financial model, the hip bone's connected to the knee bone, right? So if we, like, if we don't hit revenue targets, then there's less AR to collect and everything, you know, kind of spirals. You know, typically in my experience in past downturns, you can basically just uh, expect churn maybe to, to, maybe to double, but it's probably pretty low in the enterprise space. But it's going to, it can go from like 10% to like 40% in the SMB space because they're just thinner capitalized businesses that don't have pools of capital to draw from. And DSO typically doubles. And so that's kind of where I'm looking at. And that's when you say, oh, yeah, this PPP program might make sense, you know. OJ? Yeah, it's for me. It's it's kind of all over the map. It, it uh, a lot of my clients right now are a little bit earlier stage, and so the the, the working capital is less important than the the venture capital, and so it depends a lot on the, the the stage they are at fundraising. Companies who were down to the wire and didn't raise enough money last year, it's it's looking pretty grim. Those who raised money are fine. They're actually pretty good. They're looking great, and they probably you know I hate saying this because it it sounds like. 
It sounds like your monopoly man, like <laughs> the levers of power have shifted away from labor towards capital, you know, like, like but it's sort of like there are going to be some very high quality people available because not every company is going to make it. And what I'm seeing on the operators guild is definitely there's sort of like three or four camps. Like the people who raised money last year are just like patting themselves on the back and very happy. Like, and that's great. Good for them. The two p- groups that are more panicked are one, those are in like the travel and hospitality space. And so like their entire business, just, just zero all of a sudden. And then it's the ones that were expecting or that were already, already in a fundraising process or knew like, Hey, I need, I'm raising money in the next six months. And those are very terrified. And God forbid, if you're in the travel and hospitality space and you were one of those companies that had to raise this year, like, I, I mean, my heart goes out for you because you couldn't have anticipated this Q2 of 2019 yeah. and said, yeah, I should really raise money now. You just, you just didn't know that, you know? Yeah. I, so I, I, have a couple, I have a couple companies that make hardware components that go into phones. So fortunately, fortunately, I don't have any travel or hospitality clients, but I have, I have two that are hardware companies that sell into the smartphone complex. And they, they don't know what to do. Like they're getting really, really mixed signals from their big customers, right? Apple, Apple, I mean, just I'll say it. Apple is the worst customer in the world to have because they always tell you they're going to sh- ship a billion units when they know they're only going to do, you know, half that. And so these guys are really scared because they have to actually spend a lot of inventory on inventory of, you know, working product and how much are they actually going to have to ship? How much is, I mean, Apple doesn't know what it's going to look like. You know, Samsung doesn't know how many phones are going to ship this year. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be down, but is it gonna be down fifty percent or down eighty yeah. percent? That that difference is gonna can break a can break a hardware company, even a decent, decently capitalized one. Yeah, which is it, this to me, this is just really revealing the difference between us and them. And by us and them, I mean us being small startups and them being kind of the public markets, right? Because it, it like it, I was just chatting with a, a buddy I used to work with at Sigfig actually. The super smart finance PhD. And he was like, well, you know, if you have a discount rate of whatever it was, 5%, you have a dollar of earnings cash flow this year for the, and it's growing at whatever, Y percent, 5%, some reasonable assumption for the next 30 years. And, and if you just like push all those, like you basically don't start the, the, the exponential growth of the earnings cash flow for another two years, you literally push it out two full years. That instead of being worth that one dollar, the net present value goes from like twenty eight dollars and fifty cents. It falls by like fifteen percent. So like you know, and if you do that and you cut the annual growth rate of the cash flow from five percent to like three percent, it still only goes down to around twenty bucks. So it's like it was like you know twenty nine percent, not quite a third. So markets theoretically should not have gone much below like a thirty percent dip, but. You know the market can remain irrational for longer than you and I can stay solvent. You know, so that's that. You know, that's what every startup is looking like. Oh my God! You know, like my 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 generations of future cash flows have always been theoretical and optimistic in the future. So, like, uh, things are dicey. Now, are you guys telling your clients to? And, and Evan, you have one client, your company, but but telling friends to go back to the VCs and and ask for a bridge round, or what? How are you? How are you trying to deal with the projected cash shortfall, presumably, of all these companies? I'd say nothing's off the table. We're, you know, we've been in touch with our board. Board, we hope to be supportive. You know, I, I no plans to, you know, the, the things. I would just say the situation is changing so quickly that anything I say is going to look silly in forty-eight hours. You know, so but any 
any piece of cash that we can get our hands on to ensure, you know, the company's long-term viability, which, you know, we all believe in, like, whether it's from customers, debt lenders, uh, the PPP program, existing investors, other outside VC, it like nothing's off the table. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, that's, that's what I'm telling people to do. Same thing. Any, any source of money you can get your hands on is, is worth pursuing. And that's why that one company I talked about that was doing the big pivot, that was in part led by an investor came to them and said, I'll give you half a million dollars to go build this new thing. And, you know, it was an obvious choice for them to do. It was, it was that or shut, shut the doors. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, Hopefully that turns into like the next Airbnb yeah. or something like that. I'm rooting for them. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things we talked about was, Evan, you brought this up. You know, what do you do about quota relief for your salespeople if you have done a replan? You know, I don't actually have a good answer on that. We, because um, we're basically a product led growth uh, strategy. And um, so we don't have a big, like, big enterprise SaaS uh, team. We actually just hired a, an enterprise sales team, rather. We just hired a, a chief revenue officer. And, you know, that's obviously the CEO, CRO, and I will be intricately involved, you know, with like making those new commission plans for teams that the sales team we will build out. But that's kind of a tomorrow problem for me. I just know it's a today problem for a lot of other people. I know, I know what not to do. This is actually not a personal example. This is, this is my wife. She's a saleswoman for a, a company that sells into biotech labs. It's this old European company and they're just not quite, they're just not used to moving fast. And so what they've done is nothing. Okay. <laughs> so she and her colleague just sit around on Zoom calls all day saying, what's our quota? Is our quota changed? Like, they just have no idea what to do. Oh, wow. The company just hasn't gotten around to communicating what the new plan is. Yeah, that's tough. And, and it's wearing, wearing them down. And if they just come out and said, look, this is a new plan, right? We're, everyone's coming down, comp and quota. That's, you know, you deal with it, you move on. Yeah. But now it's just uncertain. Like, yeah. they all know they're not going to hit their number but it hasn't been officially revised and direction and leadership are uh, important now. Yeah. That's yeah, a really I mean, good just, thing to say. Like it is all about leadership and communication and setting, setting a course, you know, so that everyone can get behind it. Yeah. yeah. Evan, you were going to jump in there. Oh no, I was just saying that, that could be, that uncertainty can be more corrosive to morale than like actual pain. Like there's all the, all sorts of research that like the uncertain anticipation of, of pain, whether economic or physical or, or emotional is like actually more detrimental to one's morale and general state of well-being than the actual pain itself. Because invariably the human mind is, is capable of conjuring no shortage of fresh new horrors, you know, uh, uh, you know, this parade of imaginary terrors that are lurking in the, in the night. And so you just have to make a call quickly and kind of live with it, I think. But that's, you know, again, it's not, it's not logical. doesn't have this, you know, with a, with the product led strategy, we're a little bit, uh, out of the woods there, but you know, I, it's a real problem for other companies for sure. Yeah. What are you guys doing for pricing? Like, what are you seeing? Are you seeing, you know, Evan, I think you brought this up before we turned the mics on, but creative pricing approaches, you know, how are you, how are you handling price reduction requests? How are you handling, you know, some creative stuff to bring more money in? For us, it's, um, you know, uh, we, the core values of the company are always put the customer first, do the right thing. And, you know, uh, customers, you know, frankly, have, have not been super unreasonable. You know, uh, they, they, you know, so far, you know, like people honoring, they're like, yep, I'm still using the product. I'm honoring the contract. And, you know, we've, you know, we've had some hardship requests and, you know, we just try to put the customer first, knowing that like, we want this person, you know, the old, the old saying, you don't sell a guy a car, you sell a guy five cars over 20 years, you know? So if you do a good job, provide value, make sure your product is so good that they'll never want to leave you. 
you know, we can get through this together with our partner, with our customers. I love it. Jay? I, I like the philosophy. Some of my guys are early, early enough stage that they're being asked to be very flexible. And so for some of them, it doesn't matter because their, you know, revenue is, is, is not going to save them. They need, right. they need capital, right? So it's not as big a deal. Yeah. Uh, and in those cases, anything goes like, sure, you want it free? Sure, we'll, we'll discount it heavily. Uh, in, other, in other cases, what we're seeing is customers come saying, hey, you know, times are tough. I'm going to negotiate hard with you. Uh, I want a discount. And I think the, the ask we put in place then is say, all right, fine, but you got to pay up front. Like, we'll give you that 10%, 15% discount. But we want, you know, we want a three-year contract paid, paid now. Uh, if, you're, if you have large customers heavily relying on the capital markets themselves, that's, I think they, those, those kinds of things have, have worked out okay so far. Yeah. yeah one of my favorite tricks too, is to do the multi-year deal and get it all up front and give them a discount and everyone wins in that situation. <laughs> and I've seen that done very successfully in uh, the dot-com blow up and also 2008 timeframe. So I'd, I'd highly recommend that to companies approach it that way. Yeah. I, th- I think the number one thing is just to have your response, your, your yes and counter ask like, okay, if you need a, Price reduction, okay. Pay up front, or is it is it actually the payment terms? Well, that's that's fine. I can maybe give you payment terms if we lock you into a longer term contract. Or alternatively, like one thing we've done with Great Effect is like, look, you need whatever X number no, level of usage, but the way your usage is growing, you're going to need Y next year. What if we made this a two year deal where you get Y right away, but the payment is. $50,000 this year and it automatically ramps to 150,000 next year. And you, you know, you can just do things that are win-win and, and accretive. So, but you have to have those responses like ready, you know? Yeah. My, my, the one, the one thing I'm very wary of though is, is payment terms. Like if somebody comes to me and says, yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll sign that long-term contract, but we don't want to pay you for 90 days. That's I'm a concern. Very, yeah. I, I'm, I'm reluctant to take those because because I'm I'm thinking about if let's because that's basically what I'm doing to all my my vendors is all my suppliers is I'm I'm pushing out payment terms just to save cash, uh, and if it gets really egregious, like then I have to start worrying about whether this customer is going to be there in ninety days. Yep, no, that's a concern for sure. Also, you're spending money getting ready to support them or get you know getting them up and running in those ninety exactly. days. So it's like a double whammy if they don't deliver. Yep. Yeah. That's this is some good stuff. Let's let's wrap it up with one tip from both of you. Like your best tip. You got your grandchild on your knees 25, 30 years from now, and you're saying, Boy, that that COVID nineteen stuff was pretty crazy. And but the one thing I did right was X. Evan, you wanna go first? Sure. I think it's just, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's communication to the team that we're all in this together. And, and I think you, you earn a lot of trust deposits when you don't sugarcoat stuff, but you also don't pan, like they can't see the leadership team panicking. Right. So it's, it's kind of paying attention to your own well, like emotional well being, and just communicating as open as possible. Like I sent this email to the company that I told uh, a very quick story. I, you know, I'm going to tell this quick story. It's all right. I'm going to tell this, this quick it. story. You can always, you can always yeah. edit it out. So in 1996, I like in 1996, the, the Cal Stanford rivalry was, was quite heated. And after the 1996 big game, Stanford went into Cal and they beat him something like 41, 21 or something like that. And, and my friend, Christopher Carey, I don't know if you know, Chris, now a middle school uh, teacher uh, in Cheryl Hill, but then the Stanford tree was nearly killed at, at midfield 
the the Cal fans, uh, and he, by the way, he probably incited them. So I'm not trying to like cast dispersions on Cal fans, but basically he was wearing a football helmet. Cause you always wear a football helmet when you're the tree during big game. Cause like they used to throw frozen oranges at you from the stands. So anyway, and he was in this football helmet and he got overrun by like 10,000 Cal fans and they were kind of tearing the costume apart. A lot of Cal people still have pieces of the tree in their office cubicles. Right. Anyway. Uh, and the, like the tree protection services at the time was the Stanford wrestling team. And like all wrestlers, they are in sync. And I've lived with many of them. So I know them very well. And said so they, 10 of them go storming out to midfield. They, they tear, you know, Chris apart. Uh, they tear him out of the, out of the, uh, out of the, the costume. And they're like, are you okay? And Chris has got like split lip. And he's like, he's like out of it. He's the, when they were pulling this costume apart, the chin strap on the helmet was like cutting into his air passageway. So he couldn't breathe. So they get him out of there. And they're like, do you want us to save the costume? And he's like, no man, it's already gone. And so they like looked around and it was like, number one, like, this is terrible. Like this is a really dangerous, really uncertain, unfortunate uh, situation where innocent people are going to get hurt. Uh, and there's nothing I can do about that. And it's powerless and, and painful to know how powerless you are about that. Number two, this is what I've been training for. And so, <laughs> and so like, like basically riding out at Helm's Deep, they basically take Chris and the dollies and, the, and they, they're like in this like chaotic environment, all of the like double uh, two a day sessions that they trained for and all the doing decks of pushups in the, in the saunas had prepared them for this like moment of chaos. And so what I told the team was like, look, this is what you've trained for. Like if you're a business person, like anyone can succeed in good times. And this is like when, when you were running your own like finance team or marketing team or product team in five or 10 or 25 years, like you are going to tell them stories about this time, about how this was what your training was for. And you pulled together and you, you made it through, you know, and I hope we all make it to the other side. So you can tell those stories because, you know, there's a lot of companies that aren't going to make it. And it's just, you know, it takes shit, grit and mother wit to get through the hard times. But, you know, that's it. I love it. Great story. I love it. And it's very true. Jay, I don't know if you could top a, a story involving the Stanford tree on a <laughs> podcast hosted by a Cal alum. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can't top that. I, I'm a Cal alum, too. So I'm outnumbered. I will neither confirm nor deny my possession of any pieces of any tree, but I'm, I'm going to be a bloody capitalist about this. I, I think like now, now is the time to 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 go all in right i mean you know it's it's terrible and it's tragedy and the world is not in a good place but we'll get through this and i think we'll get through this sooner than we really expect and careers and reputations and investment track records are going to get built now um and now is the time to is is don't don't be timid except with going outdoors but in terms of investment if you can do it now is now's the time because great things are built now. And I just think of what came out of 2003, 2004, what came out of 2008, 2009. Now's the, now's the time to, to be buying and investing, right? Buy when there's blood in the streets. I love it. I love it. I, I'm also optimistic. I've like switched so over the last week. I've steadily gotten more optimistic every day. I don't know if it's like that because of the counts in New York have come down or people are just getting used to it, or maybe it's, I've seen our business unlocking but I feel like I can see the other side a little bit. And I do think the PPP is really going to help. Like it's going to keep people in jobs for two months where it wouldn't have. And it's going to let everyone kind of ride out the uncertainty. Well, at least in two months from now, we'll know what's going on. So I, and I agree with Jay. I think this is a time where amazing things are built. And I look back on 2008, 2009, that time period, and it was a great time to be investing, great time to be working with startups, great time to be taking equity in startups if you're an employee. 
So, so I, and I think the probably other thing I just say to folks is, is just, just keep the lights on, you know, do what you need to do to keep the lights on, live to fight another day. As, as Evan said, this is what you train for. Yeah. Uh, and things are going to work out for, for good people who know what they're doing or working hard. I think good things will work out. Can I yeah. add a message for venture capitalist investors who may be listening? Absolutely. I'm, I'm a University of Chicago MBA, big believer in data. And I've seen all these studies showing that the, the best indicator of future success of a private equity or venture capital fund it has nothing to do with pedigree or, yeah. or who you are or where you come from or what size companies you invested in or what stage. It all comes down to the year in which the fund starts. The timing. Yeah. Timing. R squared I, of 60%. I agree. I, I joined, rejoined Lighthouse after business school in uh, end of 08 or end of 07, early 08. We had just raised a new fund and we complained for nine months because up until Lehman crashed, the market was totally insane and valuations were way too high yeah. and there's too much capital. And then all of a sudden the market shut down and we had a new fund and we really did well. And I like to think it's because we were smart, but I think it's probably what Jay's saying is timing and having capital yeah. and being willing to take some risks. Yeah. I mean, if you look at all the sort of the tier one venture names now, they all are there now because of investments they made in 08 and 09. Yep. Yep. I agree. So now is not the time to mess around with a, a small company's valuation or the nitty gritty of the terms. Just, just invest. Let's do it. All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming by. Really appreciate it. And thanks. This is our inaugural CFO roundtable. And you guys rocked. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Great, Scott. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise from Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Orr.